Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. Hello, we're live from the Charles Schwab Impact Conference. We apologize for any background noise, but we're smack dab in the middle of the exhibit hall at the Discovery Data Booth. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that point in their lives to give themselves permission to just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and their businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And our guest this morning is Heather Brilliant, who's the CEO and president of Diamond Hill Capital Management. Hello, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me, Doug. Where is Diamond Hill? We are based in Columbus, Ohio. That's interesting because I went to the University of Michigan, so... Sorry. (laughs) I went to Northwestern, but we're not very competitive against Ohio State. Nobody is this year. So tell me a little bit about Diamond Hill before we get into what I really want to talk about. Diamond Hill is a a publicly traded asset manager that manages about $22 billion, primarily in um, U.S. equities, uh, long-short equity, and fixed income. And I would say that we have um, a particular direction of being very focused on intrinsic value, long-term investing. So being an asset manager and with the tenure run of passive management kind of taking over the world, is, is your view of what's coming different than that? Is Are we going back to a bit more active environment? I think active will always have a place in the market. Clearly, it has a much smaller place today than it did 10 years ago. But I really think active management provides investors with the opportunity not only to participate in a market that has been very strong over the last decade, but also to protect on the downside and to really think about security selection in a way that is different from what you get with passive vehicles, which are primarily focusing on um, market-weighted indexes. Talk more about that and how you guys view that and how you approach it. Everything we do at Diamond Hill is actively managed. We feel very strongly that active management leads to better outcomes for investors, and our track record over the last almost 20 years really backs that up. And so I think you know we intentionally run concentrated portfolios in parts of the market that are capacity-constrained, where we think that active managers have the opportunity to select securities better than an overall market index could ever provide. That's great. Speaking of that, advisors are, are changing, they're getting more competition, their value proposition is being challenged, managing assets is becoming less important, and relationships are becoming more important, building trust. What are you seeing out there in, in those kind of things? I think one of the most important and beneficial things that advisors can do for their clients is to help them stay invested throughout market cycles. And the data is very supportive of the need for us as an industry to do a better job of this. Both Morningstar as well as research affiliates and a number of others have put data out there that shows that the actual investor experience is is materially inferior to the experience of the stated returns of funds. And that's really because investors are their own worst enemy. They invest at the wrong times, they sell when things look poor, and they buy when things look strong, and that is exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. So I think advisors are so uniquely well-placed to be coaching their clients to get a better outcome by staying invested. Is that something that you help them with at Diamond Hill? Today, I wouldn't say that we have an explicit practice around helping them, although we're, we're very 
strong partners with many of the advisors we work with, and we certainly talk about this as an area that we would you know, be happy to be helpful. I do think that capabilities like ours that protect on the downside to some extent, I mean, certainly the data shows that we have less downside capture than, than you know, the overall market, really help investors understand the importance of, of active management and the benefit of somebody watching out for them when, when markets are choppy as well. So there's a big push these days for the age of engagement, ESG investing. Um, is that still a dream or is it something that is really happening and something that investors and advisors can feel safe investing I think investors and advisors need to be careful to make sure that when they are looking for some kind of sustainable product or ESG capability, that they're really getting what they expect. You know, the unfortunate thing is that our industry is really jumping on the bandwagon of ESG, and so you're seeing lots of firms rename capabilities that might not necessarily have anything explicit to do with ESG as sustainable funds or ESG-oriented And I think that's a real concern because there's not any clear definition around what makes a fund a sustainable fund versus a regular fund or how you define all the different characteristics of firms that you might include or exclude in an ESG-oriented strategy. So if you're an advisor that's interested in these for your clients, how do you go about finding something that's both what you're looking for, a good investment, and doing the right thing? I think the first thing is to really make sure you understand the investment philosophy of the of the capability that you're evaluating. And you know, through that I think you can get a pretty good sense of how important factors like ESG might genuinely be to the manager. So for example, at Diamond Hill, we do not call ourselves an ESG manager, but as long-term investors who are taking positions in companies as opposed to trading stock stocks around, We really think very deeply about the way those companies are run, which is the G, governance in ESG. And we have to take into consideration environmental and social risks in making these long-term investment decisions. So while we don't even call ourselves ESG and, um, you know, won't have no intention of doing so, we do feel like we really incorporate into our practices and the way we invest, making sure that we're taking those risks into consideration. And that's for all your products? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's very different than what everybody else is doing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you're seeing lots of people launch ESG capabilities, which makes me wonder what that means about the rest of their investment capabilities. Exactly. So why not promote yourself as ESG-focused? So I would say at Diamond Hill, we are very transparent, and it's very important to us that we are true to label. And as we see lots of other investment managers jumping on that bandwagon and calling themselves ESG when they aren't, it actually makes us want better definitions around what it means to be ESG or you know, how, how you can run a fund sustainably or you know, think about responsible investing and the way you're making your investment decisions. And so you know, we are very happy to engage in the conversation, but we don't want to call ourselves ESG. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop, as they say in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Australia, you were the CEO of Morningstar Australia for a number of years. How was that? You, did you build it from the scratch? No, it was an existing business for Morningstar. It's small. Yes, it was small. It's still relatively small. I mean, it's still, I think, about 5% of their revenue. So right. um, overall, pretty small part of the overall you, business. You were there quite a while. I was there for three and a half years, and I loved it. It was an amazing experience, both from a cultural and family perspective, as well as a a business and market perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, Australia is a very progressive country when it comes to our industry because they were one of the first to adopt mandatory savings for retirement. 
And so they now have one of the largest pension plans in the world, certainly on a per capita basis. It's an enormous pension plan. Puts them in a much better position than most other countries. Is it more highly regulated than it is here? That's hard to answer. I would say the regulations differ, and certainly both countries have high levels of regulation. Right. Probably the regulator is a little bit more um, involved, I would say, with the industry in Australia than what I perceive to, to be the case in the U.S., but not as a positive or negative. So there's okay. a lot of regulation okay. and, and government involvement. <laughs> the reason I ask is we have a number of contributors on the site from Australia, and regulation seems to be something they write about quite a bit. Oh, Interesting. Well, I would say that's partially just because the market is a lot smaller. So to the extent you have the same amount of regulation for a smaller market, I think it feels like a bigger part of the overall responsibility. And also because everyone is forced to save for retirement, which I am very supportive of and think is a very positive thing that Australia has done, it means that I think the government has to stay involved to make sure the industry is doing the right thing for the entire population of Australia not just those that might have a 401k, for example. And as they point out to me, if you take away Alaska, their, ma- their land mass is bigger than the United States. Yes, that is very Which true. Which is shocking. With only 24 million people. Yes. Goodness. Um, so how did you get your start in the industry? So I kind of happened upon the industry. I was thinking I was going to go to law school, having had some experience in high school and college debate. And um, then I decided, you know, I think I should, I should try to get a job first and see if law is really what I want to do. And I ended up concluding that um, investment management and stock picking and researching companies was much more similar to debate than I had expected. And I loved that. It's really important, I think, to be a great analyst, to be able to see both sides of a story and then still also be able to conclude one way or the other which way you feel, and then as you get additional evidence, you have to be able to sort out whether that is confirming or refuting of your thesis. So all of that uh, was very appealing to me, and I I thought, I will never leave this industry now. And is is it something that you've, well, you've obviously enjoyed it because you've been in there a long time. Is the industry's been what you expected? Yes and no. I would say in a lot of ways, the industry has continued to evolve in very positive ways. I think there's a lot of um, interest in uh, building a more inclusive industry, of really trying to improve the diversity of the industry, make sure we're getting wide varieties of thought and ways of approaching problem solving. But on the other hand, I think it is kind of sad that we haven't made a greater dent in improving the types of people that we're able to attract to the industry from a diversity perspective. And I'm hopeful that over the next couple decades, we can make a bigger impact than we have over the last few decades. It seems to me that the industry has been a few decades of more of the same. And other industries are light years ahead. And they continue to grow faster and bigger and smarter. And, and here we are doing the same type of things. Is, am I off base? I don't... I don't think you're entirely off base. I think there are more um, people in the industry that are kind of coming up in a cottage way who are very interested in advocating for better outcomes for investors and um, putting investor interests above the interests of the industry. And I think that is what it will take for there to be a sea change in how our industry is perceived and how we build trust with our clients and um, to make sure that what we're doing is to charging a fair price for the services that we're providing to our clients. And I think that's a a critical issue that's held us back. Well, it's also bringing in different types of people. Yes. 
and more people of color, more women, more different ideas, and the ability for those people to voice what they want to do rather than this is the way we do things. Yes, I think that's right. And I think that will be part of what what takes our industry hopefully to the next level in terms of of building that trust. What is it going to take the industry itself to do to allow those things to happen? I mean, I, I think the industry needs to better align its interests with the interests of its clients. And I think that means requiring a fiduciary responsibility for advisors, for investment managers. I think it means um, making sure our fee structures are aligned so that as our clients do well, we do well. And if our clients are doing poorly, that we feel that pain too. And I think you're seeing more movement in that direction, things like performance fees, and there's a lot more discussion around that now even than a few years ago. But it's not enough. And I think we need to continue moving in that direction of aligning interests. Was there a time in your career when you kind of like had to look in the mirror and say, I'm not sure I can do this, but no one's coming and I just got to go. I got to give myself permission to succeed. October of 2008, perhaps, comes to mind as a time when um, I actually had a new baby at home and a two-year-old. And I was the relatively new head of equity research at Morningstar. And the market was falling apart. And I remember staying up very late one night to write an email to our analyst team of over 100 people to say, do not feel like you have to change your fair value estimates just because market prices are changing. And it was, um, it was one of those moments of clarity for me of saying, yes, I'm glad I moved into a leadership position instead of being just as, I shouldn't say just, but instead of you know, focusing primarily on picking stocks. And it was also a moment of clarity around really thinking about how important it is to have a long-term perspective. And I feel like having that long-term perspective can really help investors have better outcomes. It can help individuals get through tough periods in careers in this industry. And I think it can help us think more positively about how we, how we align our interests with our clients, which are generally long-term in orientation anyway, because they're trying to save for retirement or sending their kids to college or things that generally tend to be many, many years into the future. As CEO of a big asset manager, what's the best part of your job? I love working with people. And I think every, every person is unique and every challenge around helping somebody succeed in their own career is really very interesting to me. And so I, I think maybe I should have been a sociology major uh, because I just do love the, the study of people and how they interact with each other and really thinking through how you motivate your team and, and get everybody moving in the same direction to, uh, to achieve better outcomes. And being responsible for every single thing, what's the biggest worry that you have? Oh, I would say the biggest one is just making sure I am aware of the risks that we're taking as a business. I always want, as a CEO, to know that, you know, there's risks you have to take to run a business effectively, but you want to take them intentionally, knowing, you know, the risk-reward and trade-off that you're taking um, behind different decisions and the risks that you are not aware of or, you know, don't see coming before before something happens, I think, are the ones that, that you worry about, that I worry about. What's your goal for Diamond Hill? Well, we're actually going through a process right now of um, planning our future. We're trying to take a look at what we think the firm 
uh, will look like and be like in the next decade. And I'm very optimistic that we will continue to innovate and grow with our clients and really create a better partnership. It's been wonderful talking to you. How can people find you? We have a website at uh, diamondhill.com. It's actually diamond-hill.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from people if they're interested in what we do and um, want to talk more about alignment of interests and long-term investing and intrinsic value. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Doug. We'd like to thank the folks at Discovery Data for hosting us in their booth, Charles Schwab for hosting us at their conference, for everyone at Iris MediaWorks. This is the Permission to Succeed podcast, and this is Doug Heikin, your host. Thanks for joining us.